Hello, everyone. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. This is Katie, and I'm your host. And Marcus and I are here today to discuss a new little mini series that we have concocted for you that we are calling the Supplement Series. So the supplement series is kind of going to go over all the common misconceptions that I think people have with supplementation. And then we're going to talk about the most common supplements that people think of and whether you should or shouldn't take them and kind of like the pros and cons of each of them. Yes. So today we're going to give you a little bit of an overview. I like to say the 10,000 foot view of supplements, and then we're going to go into zinc and then For our next episode, we will be doing magnesium, which I know everyone has been hearing about and is all the rage. So we tried to start out with two pretty common ones. I think zinc is more common currently too, because people are using it for immune health um, and it's been linked to some different things with COVID. So, all right. So to start out, we just wanted to reiterate that supplementing should be just that. It should be for supplementing a whole healthy diet. So you should be trying to get the majority of your vitamins and minerals from a healthy diet. So whole foods, um, nuts, grains, seeds, fruits, veggies, legumes, and then some high quality meat and eggs if you eat that, because that's going to provide you with the best whole food. And you're going to be getting these supplements as well as other nutrients as well. So instead of just focusing in on one single nutrient, you'll be getting a lot of different ones when you're eating a whole food diet. And another thing to kind of go along with this, I haven't found any like scientific backing for this, but the way I look at it is if food group or like a plant or a meat or anything contains certain nutrients, then all the other nutrients that it contains would work together in my train of thought. Whereas if you take just a supplement and they just kind of throw this, that, and the kitchen sink in it together, it might not always work together in the doses that they provide. So it's always better to kind of get it the way nature gives it to us. Right. And then too, like, so a good example of this would be, we think of citrus fruits as high in vitamin C, right? So if you are eating an orange, not only are you getting that vitamin C, you're also getting vitamin A, beta carotene, you're getting fiber. So you're getting a lot of other things with it um, that work together, as Marcus just said, to help provide you with nutrients. Yeah. And one other thing too, just because their supplements are natural medicines, it does not mean that they are without side effects or without overdosing if you're taking too much. For example, if you are using a high dose vitamin C to prevent a cold, um, that is an indication or to shorten the duration of your cold, that is an indication where you can use vitamin C, Um, but you don't want to use a high dose of vitamin C for a very long period of time. If you're taking it at the first sign of your cold, by the time you feel better, you should stop doing that high dose vitamin C um, because overabundance of vitamin C Obviously, it's a water-soluble vitamin, so you'll pee most of it out. But if you have too much high vitamin C for a long period of time, um, it can increase your risk for kidney stones. So just thinking about if you are using it to prevent or treat something, the duration of how long you should use it. I also found it said that if vitamin C is taken in like so much of an excess that your body can't eliminate it, it can turn to oxalate and then bind to calcium. And that's kind of what causes the kidney stones. And a lot, especially like not really this time of year, mostly in like the fall and through the winter, people take 
emergency and airborne like it's going out of style and i think that it's it can be useful but i don't think that it can cure cancer like some people think like some people think you take a a airborne every day and you're good to go right it, it doesn't really have like the scientific backing for that right and then one other thing that i would like to mention that's very important is to always ensure that you are getting high quality vitamins and minerals. So I think we've talked about this before. I know we've talked about this before, but, and I think we've mentioned do not get your vitamins off of Amazon because they're trash. Amazon has been well-known and I guess I shouldn't say it's Amazon because it's the third party sellers that sell their things on Amazon. They have the container of whatever you think you're getting. So if it's a high quality product, they'll give you that container, but inside would be just like a generic vitamin. And there have been studies that looked at these things and there's way less in each tablet than what they say on the label. So you're getting basically just filler and you're not actually getting what you want to be getting. So if you're deficient, that could be dangerous because you think you're taking something that you're not. And if you're just using it to supplement, then you're wasting your money because you're not getting anything. You're just getting filler and junk. And another thing with Amazon, if you... If something is $25 in the store and you buy it off Amazon and they're selling it for $18 and you're like, oh, this is the best deal of my life. But that's the products that the stores rejected or that sat on the truck for too long and were exposed to unsafe temperatures. So you're kind of like not always going to get a bad product, but you're a lot more likely to get a bad product if you order something off Amazon that's like a too good to be true kind of deal. And I'm not saying you shouldn't order some stuff off Amazon because I think yeah. the yeah, the Amazon truck comes here like once a week. So it's definitely useful, but just kind of be mindful when you're putting something into your body for like your health. I think it's more important to me to spend a little bit of extra money and get like a high quality product than it is to save a couple of dollars and then like not really know. Yep. So some of the quality products that we recommend. So I always recommend Dr. Smoller. So Neil Smoller, he's been on here twice now and he has his own line of vitamins, minerals, supplements at his pharmacy, which is called Woodstock Apothecary. So if you Google Woodstock Apothecary, it'll take you right there. And then it will show you all of the vitamins that he recommends. Um, he has some of his own line, and then he also carries some other high quality lines. Um, and then I know Seeking Health is a one that's really well, high quality as well, and full script. So I have um, a lot of pharmacists that I know and work with always recommend these brands as well. So these are more high quality. And like Marcus said, you're definitely not going to be paying the same as what you would pay if you got the generic Walmart brand. Um, But at least you know you're getting the best quality product. And I know with Dr. Smoller, he does a lot of research and everything. And he he doesn't just put X dose of X supplement in his formulations. Like he uses the scientifically backed dosing and he puts a lot of time into it. So you would kind of expect that he would charge a little bit more for it because it is the optimal amount of everything that you're supposed to be getting in that product. So I think if you have the ability to like invest in yourself with these supplements, you should definitely go all in with it. 
One of the other things that's a little difficult to determine is when you're actually out of range or um, when you're low in a certain mineral or vitamin. So if you get a lab drawn and you get your blood assessed for different levels of vitamin D or magnesium or zinc or whatever, um, there's always a range and our body is really good at staying in homeostasis. So that means balance. So if we if the body sees that one mineral is low, it's going to do what it can to correct that by possibly pulling another mineral out of the cell or calcium out of your bones, et cetera, et cetera. So you may not always have an out of range mineral showing that you're really out of range, but if something is on the low end of normal, then that can be an indicator that maybe you should supplement a little bit. And one of the other things too, is that some minerals are intracellular and some minerals are extracellular. So if they're intracellular, it means they're stored inside the cell. So it's hard to tell if you're actually low or not because you are testing your blood, which is obviously outside the cell. So it could be a little bit difficult. So magnesium is a good example of that. Like if you have clinical signs and symptoms of low magnesium, even if your magnesium is within a normal range, you still could be low because it's an intracellular, whatever they are called mineral. Yeah. So to kind of like almost piggyback off of that, a lot of vitamins and minerals kind of work together. So if you're deficient in one and you supplement it, you might not always get the same results that you would expect. Like if you're low in calcium and you just supplement calcium, but you're also low in vitamin D, then you might not get the same effect that you would if you supplemented with both. And that's not always the case, but um, that's something to consider. And then like copper and zinc work together. It's kind of like hard to, to really know, like if you're deficient and what, what you should supplement um, if you don't have, lab results and if you don't have like clinical symptoms so yeah you should definitely always work with a practitioner or healthcare provider before you're starting a supplement regimen because it's hard to know exactly what it is you need so like for example with calcium and vitamin d vitamin d is needed to pull calcium into the bones so if you don't have enough vitamin d and you're just supplementing with calcium then calcium is going to stay in your bloodstream and then if you have too much calcium in your bloodstream, then that can lead to calcification of your veins and arteries, increased risk of heart attack and stroke. So we wanna make sure that if you are supplementing with calcium, you're also getting enough of vitamin D. And then vitamin D is a really interesting one too, because there's so many people that are low in vitamin D. Like we are prescribing vitamin D, our doctors are prescribing vitamin D all the time and we're always dispensing it at my pharmacy and I'm sure at your pharmacy too. Oh yeah, all the time. So vitamin D, a low vitamin D is considered to be less than 30 nanograms per milliliter. And so in the winter, especially if you are far from the equator. um, So I know there was a map that I was looking at. And in the winter, if you live in Maine, it's clinically impossible to get the amount of vitamin D that you need from the sun because you're so far from the equator and the day is so short. So you basically have to supplement with vitamin D in the winter. And so Maine obviously is the furthest point north. So thinking about that based on where you live. That was a tangent. So 30 nanograms per milliliter is a normal range or deficient range um, if you're below that for vitamin D, but optimal is probably about 50 to 60 nanograms per milliliter. So even though you, if you're at 30, you may be considered normal, um, you might not be at optimal for helping your body's immune system and all the other functions of vitamin D. And then one thing, 
it'll kind of like tie into vitamin D, but there's water soluble and fat soluble vitamins. And then there's essential and non-essential minerals. And we'll kind of talk more about what vitamins and minerals fall in these categories, but the fat soluble vitamins like A, D, E, and K are fat soluble. So they like disperse in your fat and they have a longer half-life in your body. So taking those at like super high doses. And if you don't really need them. You're just kind of taking them just because there's a higher chance that you could experience buildup and toxicity from them as opposed to like something that's water soluble where you'll just urinate any excess out. So that's, that's why it's always good to consult with your physician because they will have your labs and they know what you need. And then another thing, when any healthcare provider is asking you what medications you take, it is critical that you tell them anything over the counter, anything supplemental, anything herbal, anything aside from food, that you are putting into your mouth or even food. Like if you're taking warfarin and you eat a bunch of like mayonnaise and leafy vegetables, it's important to talk to your doctor about that. But that's just kind of a tangent because I see that all the time. People will say like, oh yeah, I don't take any other medicines. And then you dig a little deeper and they're taking like a multivitamin and ginkgo biloba and St. John's war. And you're like, holy crap, this is getting rough. But yeah, that's just like my little tangent on that. So we wanted to start out with just a little bit of an overview of zinc. So zinc is an essential nutrient. So an essential nutrient um, is the same as an essential amino acid. It means it cannot be synthesized in your body. You have to consume it through your diet for your body to be able to utilize it. Um, So zinc is the second most abundant mineral in your body after iron. um, And it's essential for many functions, um, including maintaining your immune system, growing and repairing body tissues. And then it also aids in metabolism, which I thought was interesting. Like we said before, getting these minerals from food is like super important. Um, So the foods that are highest in zinc are shellfish, like oysters, legumes. I love oysters. Oh, yeah. You also have like nuts and seeds, um, tahini, pumpkin seeds. I think pumpkin seeds are the highest amount of zinc. Um, then you have sunflower seeds, whole grains like quinoa and eggs. The recommended daily amount is nine milligrams milligrams for women and 11 milligrams for men. And that's that's pretty easy to obtain if you eat foods that are high in zinc. But if you don't, it's also easy to be on the low end of that. And when you're thinking about the supplements, the most common dose of zinc that I see um, in the pharmacy is a 50 milligram supplement. So if you're thinking about the fact that you only need nine milligrams for women and 11 for men, that's five times how much you need. So don't over supplement. Um, If you're using zinc to prevent a cold, like I said, with vitamin C, stop it when you're feeling better because uh, as low as 60 milligrams daily for 10 weeks or more can lead to over supplementation and then over supplementation of zinc because it balances with copper and magnesium can cause a deficiency in copper and magnesium. So definitely just making sure that you're in the correct range. You want to talk about the immune function since you did that study? Sure. One of the main functions of zinc is to support the immune system. So it aids in cell signaling with the immune system, and then it also helps to reduce oxidative stress. So if you think about 
if you've heard of free radicals or antioxidants. Um, so free radicals are bad, antioxidants are good. A free radical means it has an extra oxygen and an antioxidant will grab that extra oxygen and remove it. So um, your zinc is gonna help to reduce oxidative stress associated with free radicals. A deficiency in zinc can lead to a deficiency in your T cell function. And so, you know, T cells is one of the major players in your immune system. Um, so T cells and B cells work to fight any um, antigens that come into your body. And an antigen is basically anything that's bat causing harm to you. Um, so a virus would be an example of an antigen. So you need T cells to fight those antigens. So zinc deficiency can decrease the function of your T cells. So there's many studies looking at the use of zinc for prevention and treatment of colds. So for treatment, um, there's actually good data to support the use of zinc. So if you're taking zinc um, at the very first sign of a cold, then um, and you do that direct throughout the time that you're sick, it can decrease the duration of your symptoms by about three days. So that's actually pretty significant. Um, so the interesting thing about the use of zinc for preventing or treating colds, excuse me, is that the best data is shown with the lozenges. So you use a zinc lozenge and as that dissolves, um, it helps to basically kill the virus that's living in your throat, um, where it could be replicating, like if you have a cough or anything like that. So you want to do a lozenge every two hours while you're awake um, for a total daily dose of 75 milligrams. So the lozenges come in about 10 to 25 milligram lozenges. Um, like if you're looking at Zycam, that's a common name brand of zinc lozenges. Um, and so as we talked about earlier, uh, 75 milligrams is way above the recommended amount for long term. Um, but if you're just doing it while you're sick, then it's okay. And it's shown to decrease the duration of your illness. Now for prevention, um, the data is mixed. So there's people that take zinc every day to help um, decrease how many colds they get. And the data isn't really that great to show that it actually does help to decrease the incidence of colds. And so, and it can quickly lead to over supplementation if you're taking it every single day. One other thing I wanna say about Zycam. So Zycam originally was a nasal preparation um, the nasal preparation has since been removed from the market because it causes anosmia, which is loss of smell. Um, so using too much zinc straight in your nose can cause loss of smell. So that has been discontinued. There is a Zycam product that is nasal, um, but it doesn't contain any vitamins or minerals. It just contains homeopathic products. I can't speak to it because I've never researched it in any way. I don't know if it works or not, but just throwing that out there. So the Zycam that you should be getting is the lozenges that you can dissolve in your mouth. And then another thing that um, zinc has been shown to do is improves wound healing. So I read a study, it was only an animal study, but they supplemented these animals with zinc and then placebo in another one. But it showed that the, the zinc group healed I can't even remember the exact percentage faster, but they did heal faster. Um, but there's not really any great data in humans, but it's, it's just a synthesis, but it kind of goes back to the reduction of oxidative stress and just kind of helps your immune system recover a little bit faster. For diabetes, there is data that shows that zinc helps to synthesize insulin by stimulating beta cells. And I also saw that it stimulates alpha cells. So alpha cells secrete glucagon and 
glucagon and insulin work um, in like opposing ways. So my thought behind this is that zinc is like pretty crucial to help maintain an optimal glucose level. But like the data for diabetes is pretty inconclusive. They, they have evidence that shows that it reduces the likelihood of the onset of diabetes, but it doesn't necessarily help improve diabetes once you have it. I'm going to pull up this study. This study came out in February 2021, so it's pretty up to date, but it says zinc could have a protective role in humans by regulating inflammation, reducing oxidative stress, and being involved in lipid and glucose metabolism. Zinc consumption through dietary or supplemental ways seems to regress the progression of new onset diabetes, but serum zinc concentrations have no association with diabetes in meta-analyses that fail to demonstrate a protective role towards diabetes. I was watching a few medical doctors on YouTube and they were, I think they were like trying to promote their product, but they were saying that zinc is the end all be all for diabetes, for cholesterol, because if you use a statin, then that reduces the total amount of cholesterol in your body and you need cholesterol. And I think that when people who have like some ulterior motive find a little bit of evidence behind something, then they just bandwagon with it and run along with it. And there's not a lot of scientific data to back it other than the stuff that we've already talked about, like the reduction of colds it helps with that and then the fact that it is essential and you do need it in your body is important but i don't think it's gonna treat cure prevent anything medically other than your kind of natural processes and one of the other things too that i saw for zinc with diabetes was it had more of a benefit in people that were deficient at baseline so if they were deficient at baseline and then they started supplementing with zinc they had reductions in their blood glucose and improved insulin sensitivity. Um, but if they were not deficient at baseline, these effects were not seen. So that's just another way, another reason to make sure that you're getting your levels checked if you're going to start supplementing. I think that's like the biggest thing is to kind of know where you are. And if you are deficient, another thing that I saw was um, cholesterol. Zinc and copper kind of work together to maintain healthy levels in your body. And I think there's an optimal range. You should have like zinc that's between two to 14 times your copper amount. But I don't think the um, the blood tests are like super accurate with determining those levels from the studies that I was reading. But it kind of goes back to if you get an, a, like a sufficient amount through your diet, that's like the best way to go because... One of the other things I wanted to talk about too for zinc really quick is just because we're always talking about more natural ways to do things that you need to do in your daily life. Zinc oxide is a really good um, option for a safer sunscreen. So if you use the environmental working group to look up your sunscreen, they rate products on a one to nine scale, one being the healthiest, nine being the dirtiest. Um, and so if you look at your sunscreen, if you're using like Hawaiian tropic or whatever <laughs> that common one is, it's probably a seven, eight or nine because there's so much junk in it and there's so many chemicals. Um, so zinc is actually a physical barrier to protect you from the sun. So it's going to block the absorption of the sun by your skin. 
So if you're going to be out in the sun for just a short period of time, it's okay to go without much sunscreen because that helps with your vitamin D absorption. But remember that it only takes about 30 minutes based on your, um, the color of your skin to absorb the amount of vitamin D that you need from the sun, um, especially in times of peak sun in the summer. So if you're going to be out there for a while, you may want to use sunscreen. And I would recommend a product with zinc in it instead of one with a chemical barrier. So the chemical barriers are like oxybenzone, oxinoxate. So that's like all of your pretty commercial sunscreens. But one that I use is Blue Lizard. And that has zinc oxide in it. And what's cool about that is the bottle is like a an opaque color when it's inside. And then when you take it outside and it's exposed to UV rays, it turns blue. So like kind of like gives you some information on how much sun you're being exposed to. And then you put it on and you have to rub it in like really, mm-hmm. really well or else you kind of look like milky. It is a little thick. Yeah. But one of the other benefits too is that it's coral reef safe. So if you're going snorkeling or if you're going to the Caribbean where there's a lot of coral reefs, we know that the coral reefs are essential for maintaining a healthy ocean, just like the trees are essential for maintaining healthy air. And they're very, very susceptible to any changes in pH of the ocean or temperature. Um, So if you wear a zinc product, they're coral reef safe most of the time. Um, So you don't have to worry about killing those corals. Yeah, that's super important save the corals. Okay. Well, that was all that we had for you for today. Um, I hope you learned something about overall supplementation and also about zinc specifically. Like I said, our next supplement series episode will be on magnesium. Um, if you have any questions about magnesium that you want us to answer, you can reach out to us on Instagram at healthformation or of course, email healthformation.podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And one thing before we go, sorry. Um, Any supplements that you guys are interested in or want us to talk about, just shoot us a message or an email and we'd be more than happy to go over it and kind of like give our semi-professional opinion. We have, I can read you the rest of the list. We had calcium, copper, selenium, and then I didn't even tell you this, but I added B vitamins. So those are the ones that are on the docket. Um, So if you guys want to know about other ones, definitely let us know. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, guys.